Welcome to another episode of the AbilityNet podcast. Disability, technology, inclusion. I'm your host, Robin Christofferson, Head of Digital Inclusion at AbilityNet, a pioneering UK charity with a mission to make a digital world accessible to all. Join me on this series to revisit key themes from TechShare Pro 2022, a place where accessibility professionals and allies gather once a year to share and learn together. You can download a transcript of this episode from www.abilitynet.org.uk slash podcast. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage and let's get started. Hello, I'm Mark Walker from AbilityNet. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today we'll be hearing from three of our guests from TechShare Pro in November 2022. They were talking about the way that uh, user-generated content can help people find accessibility features in locations. So uh, one one of the people is Cam Bodami, who is a podcaster and accessibility specialist uh, based in Canada, but with a really popular podcast uh, that goes out around the world. He, he was meeting and speaking to Ewan MacDonald from Ewan's Guide, which is in the UK, and Mayan Ziv, who's from Access Now, which is in Canada um, and has a North American footprint principally. And both of those systems, Ewan's Guide and Access Now, are based around providing information to disabled people about the accessibility they may find when they get to particular locations. Uh, so if you're going to go to a bar or a, a, a restaurant, will you have step-free access? Will they be able to cater for um, any issues you have around noise, for example? Um, now, both systems are, are, have developed separately, um, but have a similar sort of background in the sense of uh, Ewan and Mayan's own experiences in terms of trying to access uh, locations and uh, getting access to uh, information about those locations. So they've been built up around user-centered and user-generated data. Um, there are other systems around where people, like Google now, includes um, wheelchair accessibility and its maps information. But this is much more about people explaining the sort of experience they might have when they get to those locations. Um, and increasingly, of course, these inf- these information resources and systems are available to be shared. So um, we may have Ewan's Guide, which is based in Scotland, um, uh, talking about local uh, services and resources across the UK. Mayan, uh, initially uh, in Canada and then much further afield now, uh, providing information in other locations. So part of the conversation is trying to see ways that these can be connected up, some of the sort of positive ways that the model can be shared, and also really encouraging people to share their own information, which I think is at the core of this, is um, we really need to rely on people's own experiences of uh, different venues um, and not just the venue owner's own interpretation of accessibility. So obviously, there can be quite a big gap between those things. So um, I'll leave you to uh, Cam to introduce uh, this amazing panel, and uh, I hope you enjoy this session. Welcome, everyone, to this TechShare Pro event. I'm Cam Baudouin from beautiful Toronto, Canada. I'm a professional speaker and podcaster on the business of disability inclusion and accessibility, and I'm pleased that I'll be hosting this event today on user-generated accessibility information. I am here with two people who built companies that crowdsource accessibility details from users, and I'm so happy to be here to facilitate and moderate this talk. Let's get started. My first guest is Mayan Ziv. 
She's an entrepreneur and disability activist. And after graduating with a master's in digital media from Toronto Metropolitan University in 2015, she launched Access Now, a social enterprise that creates information about accessibility of places worldwide. As CEO, Mayan has created a powerful shift in thinking about the importance of accessibility from accessible technologies to infrastructure, public policy, media, and more. An internationally acclaimed voice for the disability rights movement, Mayan's leadership has been recognized with several awards, including Canada's top 10, 40, top 40 under 40, MIT's top 35 innovators under 35, and the Governor General's Innovation Award, Toronto's Communicator of the Year Award, and WXN's top 100 most powerful women in Canada. Welcome, Mayan, to the show. My second guest is an adventurer, rugby fan, and whiskey enthusiast. Ewan McDonald, MBE, co-founded Ewan's Guide with his sister Kiki in 2013. After his motor neuron disease, MND, diagnosis in 2003, Ewan moved from London back to Edinburgh to be with his family and fundraise for MND research. In 2006, Ewan and his father established the Ewan McDonald Center for MND Research and helped set up the Voice Bank Project, which today is known as Speak Unique. Ten years after his diagnosis, Ewan's Guide was launched by Ewan and his sister Kiki as a place for disabled people, their families, friends, and carers to share their knowledge of accessible places to go. The award-winning charity is based in Scotland and used by tens of thousands of disabled people all over the UK and beyond. Mayan and Ewan, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the panel. All right, and Mayan, if people want to contact you, what's the best place to find you? So the best place to kind of engage is go to accessnow.com uh, or on social media where Access Now app on every platform. Uh, and then my personal is just my unzip, so I'm everywhere. All right, perfect. And Ewan, I know that if anyone wants to connect with you, just go to Ewan's Guide and go and find your social page there, uinsguide.com. And uh, all your connections are there, best place to find you. So let's just kick this off and let's get started here. Uh, Mine, maybe I'll start with you. What is Access Now and how did it start? So similarly to, to you and I, I started just because I didn't have a lot of information for myself. Uh, wanted to share information about accessibility. So it started out of a need to solve my own problem. I've been a wheelchair user my whole life and in short, what Access Now evolved into uh, is a mobile app and website. It allows people to share information about their own experiences, as well as uh, engage with businesses that are um, publishing information about what services, what accessibility offerings they have as well uh, within their own establishments. Uh, we do this all over the world. Uh, and it just really started with, with me, one person, one voice, and has really grown since then. Yeah, great. As so many proper solutions are, it starts off with the, with the uh, original intent is to solve our own problems, then we release it to the world. And, and Ewan, what about you? How did, uh, how did Ewan's Guide start? Ewan's Guide is a disabled access charity. We're best known for our website Guide.com, the disabled access review website where disabled people, their families, friends and carers can find and share the accessibility of venues around the UK and beyond but we also make tens of thousands of accessible toilets safer run the UK's largest access survey and lots more. We are a trusted source of disabled access information with tens of thousands of people using Ewan's Guide every month to find and share disabled access information. 
when I became a wheelchair user, I struggled with finding information about disabled access. I was always frustrated at never being able to find relevant access information before I visited somewhere myself. My sister and I came up with the idea for Ewan's Guide after two gigs. The first I was nervous about, but was often a festival complete with accessible viewing platforms and an accessible golf cart to take us between stages. The second was a disaster. I put tickets for the accessible viewing area, but when I got here, they offered to carry me and my power chair upstairs. Given my chair weighs 160 kg, that wasn't an option, and in the end, they offered me money to go away. After both of these experiences, I felt I wished I'd known more about the venue before I visited. I started Ewan's Guide to learn from other disabled people about their favourite places and good places to go. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, especially what I, what I resonated with there was you said relevant information. And I think that is so important because it reminds us that it's the actual users, people with disabilities who have to feed this information into guides and websites like the ones that we're talking about here, because it serves, it doesn't serve much of a purpose if a regulator or even sometimes an organization puts information in as well. You and I, I'm going to stick with you here and I want to know more about how does the business model work for you in Sky? Do people just log in? How does it work? And, and uh, Nuri, talk to me a little bit about that. We are a registered charity, so all the donations we receive go into improving our services for our community. We rely on donations from people that use our services. Plus, we are generously supported by trusts and foundations that are helping us make the world a more accessible place. Got it. And uh, Mayan, what about you? So how does your business model work? How does Access Now uh, operate? So a little different, um, same uh, kind of focus and goal. Uh, but when I uh, founded Access Now, uh, I registered it as a social enterprise within a for-profit space. Uh, so the way that we work is we work directly with business owners um, to actually help them assess their spaces uh, directly in collaboration with people with disabilities to verify how accessible they actually are. Uh, so we do this for parks, we do this for trails, we do this for, for restaurants and stores and hotels. And really the idea was we started with no business model. We started mm-hmm. with a platform um, focused on just getting people to share information. And increasingly so, what we've seen is that business owners have reached out organically and said, you know, how can I make sure that what's shared is true? And how can I make sure that I'm aware of, you know, the barriers that might um, be coming up for people within my own business. And so it was through that kind of organic relationship that we developed a really cool um, model in which both people with disabilities and business owners can work together to assess a space and ensure that it is actually truly accurate, relevant, and accessible, and that that information is then uh, kind of given a seal of approval or a verified stamp on Access Now. See, I love that. And it's really connecting the two, the actual users, the people with disabilities who have a voice and an opinion on how something should be built. And then the business owner who it sounds like wants to do good, right? I mean, it sounds like that's, uh, you know, something that we're coming up against. That's that's a good social change, right? We want business owners to, to get that proper feedback. 
Yeah, I I would say that there are a lot of business owners that don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of business owners um, and organizations that are quite scared Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't know what accessibility means. They're afraid that they're, you know, in violation of some form, but often it's just overwhelming. And so, um, you know, in in Canada, there are laws um, that impact certain types of businesses, depending on size, depending on space and the nature of business in which they actually must be accessible. But the challenge is is that the laws don't always reflect lived experience. They don't Mm -hmm. give you that, that customer service perspective. They don't, you know, yes, you'll have to have a certain width of a door or a certain, you know, let's say an automatic feature, but where is that button placed? Right. And does that door open for long enough to allow someone to actually navigate around a plant? Or And so it's those types of lived experiences that we try to bring into the forefront. And, and really, it, it, it allows business owners to also learn, you know, what does it mean to actually serve a customer well right. beyond just looking at legislation? How do I ensure a good experience for people and disability and people with disabilities are customers at the end of the day? Right. I often equate that to, you know, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, right? You know, we want to make sure our clients and our customers are well served. And yet the letter of the law doesn't always reflect the best way to do that. But tell me a little bit about some of the unique conflicts or challenges that you've come up against, uh, Maya, and just in order to create this platform. In early days when I launched, uh, you know, I, I really didn't know anything about what it takes to, to build a technology platform or a company. Um, and that's often the case with entrepreneurs, you know, that are just learning as, as we do. But I think the added challenge um, within the accessibility space is that a lot of people are not really aware, not really fully educated, uh, not aware of the size of the market, not aware of the impact that accessibility can have on people's lives uh, or even the, the return, you know, that, that is experienced when you do invest in accessibility. And I think, you know, in, in addition to just building a, a business well, you know, managing all of the things that you have to do as an entrepreneur, a lot of uh, my work and, and the work of our team is about creating that education and awareness. And so often when I'm, you know, speaking to a new business owner, it, it's not just about explaining what our product is. It's explaining about, you know, at the end of the day, like why people with disabilities matter and what our rights are here for and and that's an interesting and sometimes difficult conversation to 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 navigate through because advocacy is so core to what we do. Uh, but we always want to make sure we're doing it in a way where we're inviting people to be part of the solution. So I'd say, you know, creating that awareness and education where people are just bought in as opposed to negotiating, you know, well, how many people really are impacted? Well, roughly 20% of the population, uh, you know, so, so it, it's those types of conversations that we're often uh, kind of struggling to, to push through. Yeah. I always think about, you know, this argument doesn't matter if you're in the digital space or the physical space, the argument is the same. You know, we don't find enough reasons to do this and all we need to do is come up with those reasons as experts and professionals and advocates ourselves. Uh, you and I want to come to you and I want to understand from your point of view as well, what about some of the unique conflicts or challenges that you experienced when that you had to uh, overcome to create your platform? Well, when setting up a business of any kind, your people are the key component. While we have been lucky to have had wonderful staff recruitment can be a difficult worthwhile 
process to navigate as much as you can fit in place a rigorous process, there will always be an element of subjective judgment. The next challenge is managing and looking after the people you work with. This has been particularly tricky during lockdown and COVID in general. Many of us at UN Skybridge feel that the transition through furlough and onto remote working was something new to every business. While remote working has been a success and a valuable addition, it has also brought home to us the value of face-to-face -face interaction. We all miss that a big challenge for us is accessible tech. For example, we have lots of users that use assistive technology, me being one, I use IG's technology. We work really hard to try and make UN's guide as accessible and inclusive to as many people as possible. Alternative formats are always on our radar. We've really made inroads with our ESRED provision over the last 12 months and get ESRED reviews. Now, Gloss have just had our first ESRED access survey too. Yeah, I like what you said about alternative formats, and you're always out there looking for the next best way to serve your clients best. And uh, now, when I think about clients, I mean, what are the best ways that you and the platform get people to contribute to uh, the feedback and to uh, the spaces that they're reviewing? Our major challenge is to get people to submit their first review. Once people have shared their experiences of disabled access with us, they tend to start sending more information and more detailed reviews. Yeah, I like that. It's always getting people to start on the platform is the hardest. It sounds like it's a snowball effect. You get people to answer a few of them, then they keep going. Uh, what, what about yourself, Mike? Can I contribute to your platform? Uh, can anyone contribute to it? How does it work for yourself? Absolutely. Definitely. I think when I share kind of in Ewan's response, I think one of the challenges has always been to engage people without disabilities to be part of the solution. Um, of course, it involves education. Of course, you know, it, it's not like people are, are rushing to do it because also, and I understand that there's been some hesitance about saying the wrong thing or making sure that the information isn't right or, you know, I, I'm not familiar with accessibility. So one way in which we've gone about solving that is we've created a concept called a map mission. And basically a map mission is, is an invitation uh, to join in an activity or an event that actually is scheduled in real time, brings people together and usually brings both people with and without disabilities to kind of map any given area. And in early days, we started these events kind of as growth hacking exercises. Yep. We'd identify people in the communities and say, hey, would you throw a map mission, you know, one hour in your neighborhood or people would just volunteer uh, their time or they would want to do it, you know, instead of their birthdays or something, it would be kind of, like a fun way to get people together and just have a good time. Um, but along the way, we realized that map missions are also incredible um, kind of empathy generating activities and, and they really spark a, a kind of experiential learning. And so through building these map missions, you know, now it's become kind of a formalized program within our company where we've got, you know, employee groups running map missions um, and school groups, you know, across the across the world actually doing map missions. And it's become a way for people with disabilities to be in the driver's seat mm. and to be the educators and to invite people without disabilities to kind of stroll through a neighborhood. And, you know, maybe that coffee shop that you go to, uh, you never realize actually has one step at the front. Um 
And all of a sudden now, you know, you've had this experience where um, the, the, the real kind of tangible elements of accessibility have kind of been illuminated. And we find that after experiences like that, um, it's really hard to continue to ignore what you now learn and what you now know. Uh, and those have been really um, successful opportunities for us to, to do exactly that, to engage people who might not be familiar with accessibility uh, and invite them to be part of the solution. Right. You're bringing up a really interesting topic there, how I've seen on Google Maps, for example, organizations that have technically met accessibility guidelines. They have the button on the door and they have, you know, the tables, for example, a restaurant, something like that. And they have a, a sticker on there that says it's wheelchair accessible. And yet exactly after a renovation in, in Toronto, we have lots of condos that are going up and there's a one inch gap, just, you know, one inch to get inside the building. And that is, you know, to, to many people, it is impossible to get over that gap with their assistive uh, technology, wheelchairs or, or walkers or even strollers when we, when we look outside of the pure assistive, uh, assistive devices. But in your opinion, have you seen places improve over time for accessibility? Is that something that you've seen like a positive shift towards places being more accessible? I, I mean, I think it's a bit of both. I think we have definitely come a long way um, even within the last few years in terms of kind of collective consciousness about the issue. And I think also social media has given people with disabilities an opportunity to tell our own stories. Absolutely. And, and, and being in that position, I think we've been able to generate and demand change in terms of how how businesses work you know and who is reflected and and what is the diversity of humanity that we see and you know in our fashion and and on television and and so that representation uh, i think is changing and it is um it is posing questions to what's missing you know where are people Absolutely. with disabilities not yet um showing up but Absolutely. you know is the world fully accessible no <laughs> or have we seen businesses go from green ratings on our app to red? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, a change of owner, a renovation. Yep. You know, I remember there was this one uh, pizza place, the corner near where I live, and it was accessible and they had a ramp and it was gorgeous. And then they had new owners come in and they decided to do a big renovation and they put in a step and mm. they didn't realize uh, that by doing that, they had actually now reduced the amount right. of customers that they that would be able to come there. So it's those moments where, again, it requires tremendous education and awareness. Uh, it's an ongoing, persistent effort. You know, we're just one company, but, you know, there are people all over the world who are committed to doing that. And it's going to take, I think, the responsibility of every person to similarly to the way that we must protect our, our planet and look at climate issues. I think accessibility is just as fundamental to kind of the rights of, of people and our relationships between each other. Yeah, absolutely. This That's why many, many uh, accessibility advocates were saying that this fits so well into that diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. It fits right there. I mean, this this is where uh, it all goes. Now, you and what about you? Uh, over time, have you seen places improve their accessibility in, in 
the, in Europe and in the UK, there's much, you know, different rules around accessibility uh, or even just the physical accessibility. I'm thinking I read a, an, uh, an article recently of someone who experienced cobblestones. There's not many cobblestones here in, in Canada, but I, I know in older places with a lot older buildings, that's a reality. So have you seen places improve accessibility over time? Yes, I know every review that we receive is passed on to the venue. We love it when venues tell us that they've acted on reviews sent in by our community. It doesn't have to cost lots of money. It can be as simple as not using their accessible route as a storage cover. We also find that venues generally don't know how good they are. We encourage venues to tell everyone about their accessible facilities and tell folks what they have and how it yeah, I love that. Tell everyone, you know, that should be a part of their marketing campaign almost. Tell everyone that you have an accessible uh, place of business. Uh, now, I want to move over and just say, Ewan, what's your favorite place to travel and, and why, if you could as well? Homelands and Fife is accessible accommodation I visit every year. It's the best I've ever seen. It's designed with disabled people in mind. It's so good being able to have somewhere to stay knowing everything is taken care of and there are no barriers to having a good holiday. See, I love that. It sure sounds like someplace like that have included people with disabilities in the way that they build it. I know Microsoft does a lot of work like that as well in some of their inclusive spaces. They involve people with disabilities in the construction of the of these spaces and events. Um, Mine. what about you? What's, what's your favorite place to travel and why? Uh, so I, I want to see every place. <laughs> Whether it's accessible or not, I'm going to get there. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, for me, my, my favorites, um, I love Barcelona. I think it's a gorgeous city with some incredible architecture. Is it the most accessible? I, I surprisingly quite accessible. actually. Mm. I mean, you know, if you're going to go into the Gothic quarters, yes, prepare for cobblestones, but for me, it's worth it. So I, I, I love that city. Um, but I have to say Israel will, will always be kind of, uh, a special place for me. A, a lot of my family still lives there. And every time I go back, it's like a little piece of me is coming home. And every time is different. Every time there's something new to experience and surprisingly accessible. And I will say actually increasingly so. So there's um, a really amazing kind of new um, focus on making the old city of Jerusalem accessible. There used to be just kind of stairs um, through certain pathways. And now they've created ramps there. So they are really working on making um, a lot of the country more accessible. And, and to me, that's just one more reason to keep going back. I, I love hearing that. I love hearing because travel is just so important for us, you know, in our minds, bodies, and souls, you could say. And, and in your opinion, like, what is the simplest thing that we talked about restaurants earlier? What's the simplest thing that a, a restaurant owner could do just to make life easier if anyone's listening right now for, for persons with disabilities, in your opinion? I mean, I think before even any any effort goes into removing a physical barrier, it's really about the understanding of why you should want to do that, mm -hmm. you know? And imagine going into a restaurant where you feel like the staff are doing you a favor or you feel like you're a burden for showing up mm -hmm. or, you know, those experiences as customers with disabilities 
um, really leave quite a bad taste in our mouths. And so sometimes you can just simply start with understanding, you know, how to engage people with disabilities, how to share information, you know, in a way that will invite people to show up, you know, sharing on UN's guide or on Access Now. Um, you know, the, these are simple things that you can do to signal to people um, that you've considered um, our needs and that we are invited to to show up as customers. And then once we're there, you know, how do you make an enjoyable experience where, where barriers are not part of it? And so it starts with asking those questions and being genuinely interested in, in creating experiences where people feel included. Uh, and I know that sounds like a very lofty goal, but it can start with small things, just asking questions, doing some research, you know, reaching out to experts. Uh, often that's where it can start. Absolutely. That whole idea around uh, disability etiquette and and creating a delightful experience just goes so far beyond just the clients that you see, uh, I mean, day to day or things like that. It really is how do we create a, a great experience for, for anyone coming through our doors? Uh, and Ewan, going to you now, same question. What, in your opinion, what's the simplest thing that, say, like a restaurant or a coffee shop could do to make life easier for persons with disabilities? Simply making someone feel welcome is a great start. It's not just restaurants. We encourage all venues to talk about their access information. Our community of disabled people, friends, family members and carers continually tell us that information is key. In our latest access survey, respondents told us 92% tried to find disabled access information before visiting somewhere new. 56% avoid visiting a venue if it has not shared its disabled access information as they presume it will be inaccessible. Landscape come as a trusted source of information for disabled people, friends, families and carers. Tens of thousands of people use the website to look for disabled access information every month. If your information is not on the website of visitors and your potential visitors won't be able to find it. Yeah, that, that, that part of that conversation, of course, has to do with being heard mm -hmm. and seen as well. Uh, and dignity is the word that comes to mind uh, whenever I hear about that. We've only got time for one more question here. Uh, Ewan, I'm going to start with you. I'd love to hear what some exciting improvements are coming up with Ewan's Guide over the next couple of months or in, in coming up in the future. What's on, what's on the roadmap? It's an exciting time for us generally. We've been delighted to see the amount of content coming from our community reach a record high this autumn. In terms of priorities for the next year or so, particularly tech-wise, we know that over 60% of our users are currently using UN's Guide on mobile devices. We know we need to improve the experience, and this is a priority for us. Please get in touch with your thoughts on how we can both improve Ewan's guide and any other suggestions to make the world a more accessible place. I love it. That's really exciting. And mine, what about you for Access Now? What's coming up in the future? Uh, well, it's been a really unique time for everyone. Uh, you know, the pandemic caused us to really take a moment to consider, you know, what are we doing and how do we move forward? And for a company focused on getting people out of their homes and exploring accessible places, it was a difficult time. Uh, 
But what we did along the way was we realized that accessibility is not just impacting physical buildings and, and, you know, stores and restaurants, but also accessibility is impacting the outdoors. Uh, and so we, we expanded our reach to really focus also on trails and parks and created an entire program called Access Outdoors, which engages people to map their own trails, parks, uh, you know, look at campsites, um, all different types of experiences. And we're really, really excited about this program. So I think one of our, our kind of newest or shiniest uh, components is that through this program, we've been able to, to map uh, tons of parks and trails across Canada. Uh, and now we'll be moving this program out uh, into the U.S. and further as well. So um, I think that's a really exciting kind of update for us. It's a kind of a specifically designed app focused on mapping in a slightly different way, but all of that information ends up shared on Access Now app as well. So they're all connected, uh, and I'm really excited to kind of hit the trail and encourage and engage um, park owners and, and trail operators and networks to to join us. Uh, that's that's really cool. And as a avid camper myself, I'm going to go and explore that app uh, the okay. next camping season. That, that's absolutely great. Uh, with that, we're out of time. Thank you both so much, Mayan, Yuen. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, talking about this really important issue and uh, expanding on what both of your, uh, you know, uh, both of your sites do and mobile apps as well. So with that, I'm going to end the show. You both have a great day. Thanks so much for participating. Well, that's hugely powerful, I think, uh, that uh, conversation about where um, we store and reflect and share people's lived experience of accessibility, moving on from uh, very generic information into more detailed, uh, nuanced information about uh, the real experience of somebody in a wheelchair, for example, using a a physical space. Um, A huge thank you to Cam for hosting that conversation Massive thanks to Ewan and Mayan for joining in and sharing their knowledge and experience. And I hope you enjoyed and you know can reflect on your own input to their information resources and maybe find out more about them from uh, through the show notes. Um, I mentioned Cam. He's a podcaster and uh, a great uh, ally of um, AbilityNet. Uh, he runs the Worldwide Digital Accessibility Podcast, which I can thoroughly recommend. He has some amazing guests on there, and I would uh, thoroughly point you in the direction. Of course, AbilityNet has plenty of um, podcasts as well on related topics, uh, including other sessions from TechShare Pro, where you can hear global experts like my Anne and Ewan uh, talking about uh, the services they offer in relation to accessibility. Just go to abilitynet.org.uk slash podcast and you'll find a whole back catalogue there of episodes. Um, I'm Watt Walker. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to catching up to you at the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AbilityNet podcast. If you're looking for accessibility training, AbilityNet offer a range of affordable, high-quality online training courses to help you build skills in accessibility and inclusive design. Courses include PDF accessibility, accessible social media, and more. Use the discount code ABILITYNETPODCAST10, that's all one word, for 10% off any upcoming AbilityNet online training. And discover more courses at abilitynet.org.uk slash training. Thanks again for tuning in and more hot discussions around accessibility will be coming soon.